Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We know that you work in each one of our lives. We each have an individual relationship with you. But you have us come together to understand that there's no limit to the combinations, no limit to the way that you can work in, in our lives. So there is always hope in our darkest hours we can look around and we can see how you, have, how you have helped others and know that you will be there for us also, or that you are there for us. We, we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to thank Andy Graham for coming today and bringing the message. You look surprised. You knew you, knew you were going to bring the message, right? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's worship our Lord. Good morning. Bonnie is absent today. <laughs> so I'm bringing you this wonderful word, and it is a wonderful word. Abundant pardon. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's taken from Psalm 32.1. The story is told about a sensitive boy in the 18th century who joined, a British, who, uh, joined the British Army, but when shots began to fly, he deserted. Years later, he became a great astronomer. Discovering a new planet, George, King George sent for him. He went, fearful that the king would order his execution for his desertion years before. Instead, the astronomer was given an envelope, and inside the envelope was a royal pardon. The king said, now we can talk, and you shall come up and live at Windsor Castle. He was Sir William Herschel. Herschel was guilty and deserved condemnation, but King George had mercy on him and even made him a member of the royal household. This is what God promises us. We are guilty and helpless, but God loves us, and he has saved us, not because of the righteous things that we've done, but because of his great abundant mercy. Never forget, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that it might be saved through him, John 3:17. And the hope for today... The enemy wants us to believe that we've, what we've done is beyond any reach of God and his, of his grace. But the enemy is a liar, and I will add, and a destroyer, and wants to destroy all that's in his path. The blood, Jesus' blood, reaches the darkest corners. It flows into the deepest pits. His grace is enough. Oh, <laughs> 
absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 103, 1 through 13. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. 
He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who treated me unfairly. He reveals his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us from all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. As we say our Lord's Prayer together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Because the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness fills his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. As the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His love is Shall 
Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Accept other believers who are weak in faith, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. You are to condemn some, who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord. So let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and will receive his, his approval. In the same way, some people think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. <clears throat> Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food to do so, to honor the Lord since they gave thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves and, or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment scene of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, and every tongue, tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. If you take your bulletin, we have a responsive reading. God of salvation, who sent your son to seek out and save what is lost, hear our prayers. On behalf of those who are lost in our day, receiving these petitions and thanksgivings with your unpassion. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, the gifts that we have given today, that we've put in the box or mail in to the, to the church, or hand over to Chuck, these are all things that already belong to you. Lord, we ask that they be used wisely, that we learn, we understand how you would have us treat each other, how you would have us, the gifts that you give, how you would have us share with one another. Lord, we ask for your wisdom and your understanding so that we can be a beacon to others for how you would have, a, have us, how you would have us be. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And we have some special music now.
Yeah. 
Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Turn to the book of Psalms. If you just let your Bible fall open in the middle, why, it'll probably come out pretty close to the book of Psalms. Um, there's a story about a little boy named Johnny. who's about five years old. He was in a Sunday school class, and they were given some free time to do some, some artwork or some drawing, and he started working uh, in a very determined manner on his paper. He was just writing like crazy, using different crayons. He was just very determined and working hard at it. And so finally the teacher came around to him in the Sunday school class and she says, well, Johnny, what are you drawing? And Johnny replied, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the Sunday school teacher says, well, no one knows what God looks like. And Johnny said, when I'm done, they will. We come this morning and uh, we too would like to take a look at what the scriptures say in regarding encountering the living God. First of all, we're going to look at encountering his person. And as we look at encountering his person, we see that, that there's um, at least three things that, that David, who wrote this psalm, has for us to think about. One of them is that he is the omniscient, the all-knowing God, that he is the all-present God, the omnipotent God, the omnipresent God, that he is the all-powerful and omnipotent God, that he has that characteristic, that attribute as well. Let's uh, look at, take a look at the scriptures in Psalm 139. Read the first six verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. And very possibly that afar doesn't mean from a long distance away but it's very possible that it means it's in a time frame. God knows your thoughts as you sit here. He knows uh, also your thoughts that are, you're going to have during the day, and so on. Verse 3, it says, and this is from the New American Standard, 
You do scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you do know it. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. We look back in the history and we know that there were people who did encounter God. Moses, for instance, encountered God. And we know that when he came back, although he saw only the backside of God, as it were, when he came back, his face was just shining. It was shining in such a way that the children of Israel couldn't even go ahead and uh, look at him. And so he had to put a, a cloth or a shield over his face so he could communicate. We know also that Job, Job in his anguish after he had lost all of his wealth, after he had lost uh, servants who were dear to him, after he had lost ten children. And later on in the book of Job, he says, let the Almighty answer me. And he did encounter God through a small tornado, a whirlwind. We know that, that that occurred. So there was an encounter with God. But when we come to Psalm 139, David, who writes this, David wants to communicate with us and help us encounter God. And the way he helps us encounter God is through his words, through this prayer, as it were, parts of it. He helps us to encounter God that very way. Well, first of all, as we noted, that the first is the all-noted, the all-knowing God. God knows everything. There is nothing that he does not know. Nothing. He knows everything. And we use the 50 cent, if you will, 50 cent word there, uh, that he is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows, uh, he knows uh, when we sit down, when we stand up. He knows that we're all sitting here this morning. He's going to know when we rise up. He's going to know everything about that. As we noted, he understands our thought from afar. He understands our, our thought probably in a time sequence. He understands what we're thinking right now. He understands what you're going to be thinking at lunch today. He's going to understand what you're thinking when you go to bed at night. There is no thought of ours that is hidden from him. We can't say to ourselves, well, I'm going to hide this from God. I'm going to hide this thought. We can't hide any thoughts from God. Verse 3 says, he scrutinizes our path. In other words, he examines very carefully. 
He looks at the way we live our lives every day. There's no part of it that he doesn't know. There's no part that he misses. He knows when we go to rest at night. He says that he is intimately acquainted with all my ways. He is intimately acquainted. There is nothing that is hidden from him. It says in verse 4, Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it already. Now, every one of us has at some time said words we wish we could get back. But God, God is not surprised at any of the words that come out of our mouths that speak. He's not even surprised at the politicians, what they're going to say. We're not going any further with that. <laughs> it says, um, God says in verse 5, he says, that he has enclosed me, David writes, before, behind and before, and laid his hand upon me. What he's talking about there, I'm convinced, is he's talking about protection, about caring for us and watching out for us. From the enclosed before, he's protecting us from what's coming. He's enclosed us from behind. He even protects us from the past. About two Sundays ago, June and I were driving home from church. I have no idea why the man in front of us decided to do this, but he pulled right out in front of us. I was probably doing 45, maybe I was doing 50, I think the speed limit was 45. Anyway, I was doing about 50 miles an hour, and he pulls right out in front. Well, I thought we were going to hit him. I was almost sure of it. I started pulling to the right as, as judiciously as I could, and he must have accelerated, and we must have passed each other by about that much. Anyway, as I look back on that, and June and I both looked back on it and discussed it. God was protecting us. He had us already hemmed in, as it were, before and behind. He was giving us his very important protection. In verse 6, David writes, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. I can't get a hold of it. He's saying, I can't get my mind around it. This way that you know me, Lord, so intimately, with each detail, I can't understand it. Well, he moves from all-knowing, God being omniscient, he moves him to be on your filling in your outline, the all-present, omnipresent God. In other words, he moves from all-knowing to God being everywhere, God being completely present everywhere. In fact, in verse 7, David says, well, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? It's almost a rhetorical question, isn't it? The answer is nowhere. Where can you go where God isn't? God is here. We can't see him, but he is here. There is no place that he is not. 
He says, you may, may remember Jonah. It was Jonah, and it says in there, it says specifically, Jonah sought to flee from the presence of the Lord. Do you remember he booked, booked passage on a ship that was to leave Joppa and go to Tarshish? Remember where Tarshish is? Tarshish is over in Spain. It was the other end of the known world. I'll flee from the presence of God, says Jonah. Did not work out well for him, did it? Because you can't flee from the presence of God. There's no place that he is not. He is omnipresent, if you will. It says in verse 8, he says, and we would expect this. If I ascend to heaven, says David, Lord, you're there. But then we might not expect the other part. If I descend and make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Sheol, uh, if you look back in the old King James, it says, if I descend to hell. Sheol was the place of the dead. We know from Jesus' parable in the New Testament that there was both a, um, a section of Sheol that was Abraham's uh, comfort, and the other part was where the rich man was facing having thirst and being uncomfortable. But this is, God is there. God is in both of those places. There's no place that God isn't even there. He says in verse 9, if I take the wings of the dawn, and someone suggested maybe that's using light speed, even if you were able to attain light speed, you couldn't get away from the presence of God. If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, when I was in California, I had a friend named De uh, Dennis Davison, and Dennis was a part of uh, a crew on a nuclear submarine. I don't know how deep nuclear submarines go these days. 600 feet, 800, it's probably classified. But I do know that whenever he was on the submarine, even though he was, as it were, in the uttermost parts of the sea, God was there. God was with him as a believer, which he was, was, a, was with him in the uttermost parts of the sea. And it says in verse 10, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Note that it says right hand. Back as far as the Hebrews were concerned, the right hand was your hand of dexterity. It was your hand of strength. And he says God's right hand, God's strongest hand, is going to be protecting him and covering him and helping him there. Verse 11, it says, If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. That would seem to indicate circumstances aren't going so good. Things have turned, and things are, are going more difficult direction. He has said that. In the light, he's experiencing suddenly night. But in verse 12, it says concerning God, even the darkness is not dark to you. 
and the night is as bright as the day. He's saying, darkness and light are alike to you. We know today our military has night vision goggles. Gives you that green hue when you look through it. But you can see things in the dark. But for God, he doesn't need that. For God, whenever it is midnight, Stygian darkness, God can see in those circumstances just absolutely as good as he can, as we see in daylight. We come to this and we look and we have to use night vision goggles or we have to use new construction, huge Clegg lights, those type of things, but not God. God sees perfectly, absolutely perfectly, whenever, whatever the circumstances. If we move on to verses 13 through uh, 16, we find that, that David talks about us. He talks about omnipotence and his power. I'd like to take a minute before I, I go into this section because I think that this particular section of scripture drives a stake through the heart of the abortion industry. But I would like to say, even in this smaller group, it's possible that there might be someone here, a lady who has had an abortion. It's possible that there could be a man here who put great pressure on a girlfriend at some point to have an abortion. Those things are possible. But I want to say, we need to understand that abortion, as terrible as it is, is not the unpardonable sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. That's a sermon for a different day, the unpardonable sin. But it's not the unpardonable sin. God forgives even abortion. I want you to know that before we read this passage and study through. Verse 13. David begins to talk about God, he says, for you did form my inward parts. If you're reading out of an NIV this morning, it says, my innermost being. God has formed us inside the womb. It says, in fact, you did weave me in my mother's womb. Other translations say, you knit me together. And one commentator even says, the process that was going on there was like God needlepointing you. Like needlepoint, little teeny tiny being put together. We look at that and we know that, that God is a master craftsman that he has the power, as it were. He's all-powerful, omnipotent, even in regard to our personal creation. In verse 14, David writes, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey a number of years ago wrote a book called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And I've read parts of that book. 
and he talks about even in smallest, minutest details that God has put us together and formed us. You know, somebody here might say, well, I don't like my eyes, or I don't like the way my nose looks, or I don't like something uh, about some part of me. But God has chosen to knit us together. And if we were to take even the parts that we don't like and set them aside, if we were to take the parts of uh, the rest of us, we'd say, I'm very glad those parts are functioning and working. And thank you, God, that you have made me that way. He says at the end of 14, my soul knows it very well. In other words, David is saying, I know what you've done. I know how well you have made me. I know with what expertise that you have formed me, even when I was tiny and growing in the womb. He says, my frame, verse 15, that literally means my bones, little teeny tiny bones that were growing uh, inside of a mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Now, we, we 20th century Americans might kind of start scratching our head a little bit about what's he talking about in the depths of the earth. But in the ancient Hebrews' thinking, the depths of the earth was something that was hid. Sheol was in the depths of the earth, couldn't see it. And also a baby being formed in the womb is in a secret place being formed that you can't observe or you can't see. If you look in verse, the rest of verse 16, it says, and in your book they were written the days that were ordained for me, whereas yet there was not one of them. Did you ever think of your life being laid out? You know, God is not surprised by anything that occurs in our life. God is indeed in control of our life. He is omnipotent. He is taking care of us in every way. Whatever intelligence you have, whatever education you've had, whatever abilities that you have had, God has ordained them even before you were born. It's all set out. And I think we could probably add to that, the day that we're going to pass away is not going to be a surprise to God. God already knows. He knows all the days that are ordained for us. But as we look at this, not only does David talk to us and encountering God by seeing his attributes, his characteristics, but if you look at number two on your outline, it's encountering God in our thoughts. Let's read verses 17 and 18. David says, How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. He says, If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And then he says, When I awake, I am still with you. David says a couple of things about are thinking about God. One, he says the thoughts are precious. I'll pray everybody here has 
something that they own that's precious, that's important to them. Maybe it's a piece of jewelry. Uh, maybe it's a particular tool. But God, but David says that there are things in our lives that are precious. And he says that his thoughts about God, when he thinks back and realizes that God is omniscient, all-knowing, all-present, that he is all-powerful, even in our creation, that those things are precious to his thoughts. The second thing he says about God's thoughts, he says in verse 18, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. They're so numerous. There's things about God that we can't even begin to list. There's a song that says, count your many blessings, name them one by one. If we were to start listing our blessings, we would begin to have the idea, something what David is talking about, when I'm trying to think about the thoughts of God. At the end of 18, he says, when I awake, I'm still with you. Did the psalmist, did David doze off a little bit? I have had the, the pleasure and privilege of sometimes going to bed, think, going to sleep thinking about God. But David says, when I awake, I'm still thinking about you. I'm not sure that I have attained that, but that would be a good way to wake up thinking about God. We encounter God in our thoughts, but also we encounter God's enemies. If you're looking at number three on your outline, encountering God's enemies. This is David's view, as it were. David looks and sees enemies that are around him, but he sees them as being God's enemies as well. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, men of bloodshed. There are those people who are evil. There are evil people in our world today. There are people that it takes your breath away. June was watching a particular program the other day on TV, and there was a man who, rather than kill his wife, decided the thing that would hurt her most would be if he killed her mother. So he went and killed her mother instead. There are people who are evil almost beyond our belief. And David says, Lord, I want you to kill them. I want you to take them out. I want them to not even be around. And he says to the men of bloodshed, depart, get away from me. And sometimes I think we look at our world and we can't help but feel like in our hearts, if you're of bloodshed, just get away. Leave us alone. Leave me alone. In verse 20, he talks about, for they speak against you, God, wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. And I think that taking in vain, sometimes it means that someone does curse and use God's name that way, but it can also be where someone takes and says, I'm going to say Yahweh. I'm going to say God's name. 
and make it sound like I'm very spiritual and they care nothing about God at all. Those are the people that David is saying, they're using your name in vain. And then to our surprise, in verse 21, David says, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? He says, I hate them with utmost hatred. If you look back, the old King James says, I hate them with a perfect hatred. And so he then says, they have become my enemies. We look at those words and we think, how on earth do we reconcile those words with what Jesus says in the New Testament, where Jesus says, love your enemies. How are we ever going to put those things together? Don't know that I have a final answer, but I think it is possible, perhaps, to love someone and hate them at the same time. Very difficult for us to do, but I think God does, in fact, do that. I think God loves those who are against him, but yet at the same time, he intends that he will, in fact, judge them. Lastly, in this psalm, verses 23-24, we encounter God in our hearts. We encounter God in our hearts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. When I was a young person, I was afraid to go to see a counselor or psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, psychologist, I thought, they'll know everything about me. Well, they don't know any more than what you tell them. But you come and you think about that, and you think what David says. David says, search me, O God. His relationship is such with, with God, with Yahweh. His relationship is such that he feels that he can say, God, you search me. Search me. An invitation to God. Come search me. Know my heart. Know my innermost person. Know me in my mind, in my understanding, in my moral convictions. And he's saying, Lord, I open myself up to you. Come and know my heart. And then he says, know my anxious thoughts. You know what your anxious thoughts are? They're the things you're thinking about at 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 a.m., those are your anxious thoughts. He turns over even the anxious thoughts to God. He says, Lord, if there's anything I'm worrying about, he says, here it is. I'm willing to let you deal with that in my life. And then he says, see if there's any hurtful way in me. And literally, that's saying, is there any way of pain in me? Is there anything that I'm doing that down the road is going to come back and, and get me? Anything that's going to come back and hurt me? What, what am I doing? And he's praying and saying, Lord, you show me. 
if there's any hurtful way in me. And then lastly, he says, lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way that's going to bring me to you. It's going to bring me to eternity. It's going to bring me through this life, the everlasting way to you. Let's look at application for a minute. Since God knows us, since he made us, since he's always present with us, what should, what should our response be? Well, I got two of them in there. I'll let you fill in. Now, first of all, stand in awe. Stand in awe. If God knows everything, he's every place, and he's all-powerful even to making us who we are, putting us together, needle-pointing us in the womb all those days before, and here we are now. If he can do all that, we should stand in awe. Then secondly, I'd like to suggest be encouraged. Be encouraged because God loves you. He's made you and he loves you and you're important to him. I tell my granddaughter, although not exactly in these words, but you know John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world? Well, I tell her that doesn't mean that he that he loves Mount Everest. It doesn't mean that he loves the Pacific Ocean. It means that he loves people. He loves people like you and me. He loves us. Be encouraged. God has all that power, all that knowledge, but he still loves people. Then I'd ask you secondly, do we hate what God hates? Do we hate what God hates? You know, when a doctor enters the womb of a woman and he starts taking a little person apart, a little fetus, a little baby apart, pulls off the legs, pulls off the arm, finally makes sure he crushes the skull, get that baby out of there, God hates that. He hates the destruction of human life, innocent human life. Do we hate that? Do we hate that? Do we hate enough that when we come to vote next time that we don't vote for any politician that is in favor of doing that? Do we hate that much? Number three, are you ready to invite God to search you? Are you ready to invite God to come in, into your thoughts, into your heart, into your mind, and search you? And then are you looking forward to being led in the way everlasting? Everlasting. You know, this life, this is, this life is not all there is. Matter of fact, <laughs> there's a whole lot more than this life out in front of us. There's a thing called eternity. It is forever. And so we come and we look and we say, am I ready to be searched? Am I ready to head towards life everlasting? Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God of heaven, you know us. 
you've made us. If we've trusted in Jesus, we belong to you. And so we come right now and we submit ourselves to you. Submit ourselves in the way that we say, Lord, I give you permission to search me. And then, Lord, we come and we say, I want to follow you. I want to follow you in the path that you have right now, the one that leads all the way home. Further, we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'd like to join us, Living for Jesus.
Father, may our hearts be true. May we, may we strive every day to please you. May, may we think that when we, before we act, that are we doing your will and following your word, Lord. So Lord, let us be your servants. We know we will not be perfect, but Lord, we will strive to be better every day. This we ask in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.